0: Hello and welcome to the Investing On The Go podcast brought to you by Funds Calibre. I'm Ryan Lightfoot-Amanoff and today we're joined by Jason Bob Sheen of the 91 Cautious Managed Fund, which is on Funds Calibre's Elite Radar. Jason, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Ryan. Now, you took on this fund just 18 months ago. Um, There's a lot happening in that time, um, as we well know. So what sort of changes did you make to the fund and how have you done at the time?
1: Sure. So we delivered uh, just over 20% since we uh, took over the running of the strategy back in, in May 2020. Uh, and the fund's up around 6.5% year to date. So we took on the fund having run the Diversified Income Fund the the last nine years at 91. And that's a defensive strategy which has delivered uh, positive returns in, in each year uh, since its inception. So the idea here was to take the core philosophy, which is basically that income is an undervalued source of total returns, that portfolio should be built from the bottom up and that ultimately through managing downside, you can deliver some quite compelling risk-adjusted total returns. And we wanted to then do that with a a greater risk budget. So some of the changes that we made to the portfolio when we took it on included, I think first notably managing bond exposure. So we actually took our developed market sovereign exposure down to zero and we then um, went outright short Gilt Fund and Treasury markets uh, for a a length of time throughout this year. Um, We've then actually reversed some of that. And then more recently, as as, um, Treasury markets have rallied, we've gone uh, shorter again. The second change I'll probably note is that we added some credit exposure. um, And in particular, that was during the second half of 2020, when there was a, a distortion in the pricing of credit markets. And the third was that within equities, we went longer US stocks relative to UK stocks. And so when we put that together and look at the return profile of the fund, we see it offering an alternative to things such as credit or lower liquidity, higher income assets like infrastructure or property, or even higher um, risk, absolute return type strategies. Um, The fund's name is actually going to change to the Global Income Opportunities Fund uh, in October of this year to align it with how it's going about trying to achieve its objectives, which themselves won't, won't change.
0: Um, and so most of your holdings at the moment are in equities and bonds. Um, will you invest in any other assets too? So the the strength, I think, of the portfolio in, in
1: how it achieves its objective is the simplicity of its holdings. And so we focus on those cash, equity and bond holdings. Um, we're international in how we do that and we're very uh, single minded in what we're looking for. It's basically a combination of above average levels of income with the resilience of cash flows backing that income stream and the potential for some uh, capital upside or, or at least capital stability. Where I think we make use of more complex instruments is when we're managing risks in the portfolio. And that's with regards both to equity and bond derivatives. So if you look, for example, at developed market sovereign bond duration, uh, we took that down to uh, to a negative level, as I, as I mentioned, um, this year. And then more recently, we took it back to above a year. And we then, uh, again, more recently, have taken that back down to around zero. And that's been Uh, through the
0: use of those uh, bond-derivative instruments. We haven't been so active... Sorry. I was going to say, when when you say you go to negative duration, just perhaps for our listeners, can you just explain what that does to the portfolio and what that does for an investor? Sure. So, duration is a
1: measure of um, the portfolio's sensitivity to interest rates. So, if you have a duration, for example, of one year, that means that for a a uh, 100-basis-point rise in interest rates, you would see a a 1% loss in capital terms on the portfolio. So when we talk about managing bond risk, we use uh, the duration term. So when we went uh, negative in duration terms, uh, that meant effectively that we were um, gaining from bonds, seeing their yields rise, and so actually gaining from their their price falls, which was something that was a a hallmark of early in the year. Uh, the The other area where we use derivatives is when managing equity risk. And we haven't been so active in, in doing that. We've obviously seen markets um, form strongly. But more recently, we've started to take some equity risk off uh, using equity derivatives, which has taken our net exposure to equities now to just below 50% uh, off its highs of around 60%. And we can talk maybe about some of the reasons for that later.
0: Sure. Um, actually, maybe we can touch on that now. Are there any sort of particular areas of equities where you are seeing high risk and you are sort of mitigating those risks with those, with those derivatives?
1: I think it's less about there being um, significant areas of high risk, although I would note that markets have been very narrow um, for the last two years, really, in that we've seen a big crowding into uh, growth stocks. We've seen um, a real, I think, pessimism towards value or income-based equities. So that has, I think, created more of an opportunity on that side. Um, If we look, for example, at the the valuation multiples of high dividend equities, they're on a trailing basis at around 19 times versus more than 30 times for the the typical index. And we're seeing those companies also deliver greater profitability than the index. So we think there's certainly an opportunity there. I think there are risks starting to rise for equities more broadly, particularly as we go into 2022. And I think there what we're seeing is that growth data is starting to weaken um, across uh, a number of nations now. So in China, it's very weak already. In the US, it's starting to come off. And in Europe, I think it's starting also to flatline somewhat. We're then also going to see monetary policy become somewhat tighter, um, particularly with the Fed starting to discuss tapering. But that also is an international issue. We're hearing about it from the Bank of England and from the European Central Bank, too. I don't, therefore, necessarily think that it's a, a cause of a major correction. But I think that potentially some of the downside risks with inequities come a bit more to the fore than they have done. I think for us to be particularly concerned about any one area, would need to see complacency rise significantly and so whilst you can you know often hear about particular small pockets of the us market so-called meme stocks um, looking very uh, toppy i think ultimately their significance for broader markets is, is quite muted
0: um, and in that you talked about some of the sort of developed market debt looking um quite struggling i see that nine of your ten top bond holdings are from emerging market government bonds um Potentially, obviously, we see why you prefer them over things, but what's so attractive about emerging market bonds at the moment? Where are the best opportunities? Sure.
1: So I think, yeah, maybe to highlight why we we think that developed market bonds like Gilts are are in a risky situation now, and and then contrast that maybe with some of the emerging market ones. Ultimately, we see the valuations on uh, developed market bonds as displaying a, a degree of complacency. So yields are very, very low. And there is now, we think, an increasing risk of both inflation and um, rate rises. So if we look at some of the inflationary signals, if we look at wage data, uh, if we look at the reopening dynamic that's likely to play out as a Delta variant comes under control uh, on on an international basis. And then more, I think, um, sticky measures of inflation. So, for example, um, the cost of rent all of those to us signal that inflation could become more of a problem. And that, and that is a uh, typically a, a negative factor for fixed income markets. So that's why we view um, developed market uh, bonds as a risk. And that's why, as I mentioned earlier, we've been taking down that duration or interest rate sensitivity in the fund and being so active with that. I think the emerging market side of things is more interesting. So emerging market local currency bonds, that is the debt of uh, emerging countries issued in their own currencies. Is one of the few asset classes that's actually offering a high level of, of yields um, relative to its developed market counterparts than it did prior to 2008, prior to the GFC. So it's quite rare in that, that degree of value that's being offered. When you buy those bonds unhedged, that means if you're taking on the currency risk of them, you actually get a risk profile that looks very much like equities. So they're prone to significant to volatility and drawdown. The difference, though, is that when you take out that currency risk, when you actually buy the bonds as single issues as we do, and then manage the currency risk individually, you actually get a return profile that looks much more like treasuries or gills in that you have low volatility and low drawdown. And in fact, if you look at the performance of that strategy over the last 10 years, it's performed better than treasuries for less volatility. So by taking out that unrewarded currency risk, you can get quite an attractive potential holding there. And, And as you mentioned, we've got a number of, Uh, positions in those. So we wouldn't be uh, concentrated in any one economy. But I think a a broad range of exposures, currency hedged of low maturity, i.e. buying uh, bonds that don't have long until they mature, um, can actually deliver quite an attractive uh, set of risk return characteristics.
0: That's interesting. Thank you for that. Um, And moving back to the equity side, what sort of stocks are you liking at the moment? Are there any particular themes you're playing in the portfolio? So the, the the holdings
1: are very income equity-based. Um, so the approach that we take is that sort of three uh, criteria mix that I uh, alluded to at the beginning. So it's that blend of dividends, it's how underpinned or how resilient are those yields, and then it's what's the potential for capital upside, which is you know focused on valuations. I think when you look at the style currently, it's been so out of fashion that, as a whole, income equity looks pretty attractive. And picking the point at which any one style Will outperform is always very difficult. So I wouldn't tie myself to when that might be. But what I would say is that historically, it's tended to come more to the fore during a market correction. You've tended to see better characteristics when the broader market is falling from those dividend stocks. And two areas I think that are particularly compelling now, one would be in financials, uh, US banks in particular, where if you do see rate rises, actually these um, companies tend to benefit from that in terms of how they are uh, profiting from lending and versus deposits that they receive from, um, from individuals. The other actually would be within healthcare, where there's been uh, a lot of controversy, a lot of pessimism around how the regulatory environment is going to change under the new administration. That actually has seemed so far to be quite benign. Companies are offering decent degrees of yield um, at pretty decent multiples relative to the market also. And that to us is quite a compelling area to explore also.
0: Um, So putting all of that together, what's your sort of outlook for equities and bonds over the next 12 to 24 months? Are you cautious, balanced, or perhaps with the the new fund title, are you being being opportunistic? (laughs) So I think for
1: for equities and bonds, there's there's a slightly different outlook. So for for bonds, um, for traditional fixed income assets, the risks I think are starting to rise and they're they're rising quite quickly. So inflation, I think, is going to potentially reassert itself somewhat more aggressively in 2022. A lot of people, I think, had um, got into the mindset that it was going to be a big issue this year. I think next year is actually when more sticky inflation dynamics might come to the fore. And it's in the US when it matters, uh, where it matters the most. Really, that drives sort of international inflation dynamics. For equities, I think that in the shorter run, uh, the risks to those are are actually fairly modest. So, whilst we think that uh, growth data is decelerating, whilst we think that policy is probably going to tighten somewhat, I don't necessarily see that in the imminent future as being a, a cause for a major correction in markets. What I do think, though, is that as we go further into 2022, those risks are, are going to rise. And so whilst currently we're running around 50% or just under exposure to equity, um, we are looking at how we can start to increase hedging uh, in the portfolio. And I think that's likely to be a theme uh, probably going into late 2022 to mid
0: 2022. Well, Jason, that's been really interesting. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. And if you'd like to know more about the 91 Cautious Managed Fund, which is on Fundcalibre's elite radar, please visit our website, funcalibur.com And for more from our Investing on the Go podcast, please don't forget to subscribe via your usual channels. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not be holding these stocks at time of your listening.